Hello, you are now in Carl's Orbit, where interesting people are interviewed as to who they are, what they do, and how they do it. Well, our guest is the recent long-term chair of the Department of Astronomy at Harvard University. He's a theoretical astrophysicist and a cosmologist. He served on uh, many committees, science committees as chair, and was the recent uh, presidential advisor. He's received many science awards, and uh, he's an author of many books and also science papers. He's received the prestigious Frank B. Baird Jr. Professorship Science at Harvard University. Our guest is Dr. Avi Loeb. Welcome to Carl's Orbit, Dr. Loeb. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. Yes, and uh, can you tell us uh, what you're doing presently at Harvard University? Well, I'm, uh, this year I'm on sabbatical for the first time in 19 years. Um, I was department chair of the astronomy department for nine years uh, until uh, last summer. And that's uh, a great uh, relief as far as I'm concerned uh, because it has been a very productive period. Uh, and uh, one thing that I had done uh, is to establish a new project called the Galileo Project. And um, it basically started with uh, my book, Extraterrestrial, which was published uh, at the end of January 2021 and uh, uh, became bestseller in many countries, was translated to 25 languages. And a lot of uh, interesting visitors came to the porch of my home. And um, uh, one of them suggested that um, I follow up on this book with a research project. And around the same time, um, uh, the head of NASA, uh, Bill Nelson, said that uh, there are these unidentified aerial phenomena uh, whose nature is unclear that the military personnel finds. And um, I uh, submitted a white paper to NASA and um, uh, that contains the skeleton for this uh, Galileo project. And then a few uh, wealthy individuals showed up in the porch of my home and uh, within a few weeks, I had uh, enough money to do it myself. I didn't need uh, any other funding, and uh, I got $2 million and then um, uh, recruited about, um, by now, a 100 uh, scientists that are engaged in this project, so it's uh, going very well. And, and the project has um, a goal, a blueprint, that uh, was crafted based on, on my book, uh, Extraterrestrial, which... Uh, basically talks about uh, the first object from outside the solar system that uh, we discovered near Earth. And it didn't look like the rocks that we have seen before. It didn't look like a comet or an asteroid. And I suggested in a scientific paper that it may be artificial in origin. And and the book describes why I arrived at this conclusion. But uh, the point is uh, we didn't get enough data on this object to be confident uh, of such a conclusion. And uh, what we need is to get much better data about objects that look like it, that may be equipment sent by another civilization uh, that we find uh, near Earth. And, and that is exactly the goal of the Galileo project. Oh, so you're suggesting that this uh, object that passed through our solar system, and uh, that was what, uh, how many years ago? About 20... Uh, it was in 2017, October. And uh, that, that was four years ago. Oh, four years ago. And uh, uh, it was a strange looking object. I saw an image of it. And uh, 
I also got into information indicating that it was named uh, in in Hawaiian because it was picked up by an observatory in Hawaii. Uh, yes. <laughs> and the name. Uh, the name is Oumuamua, which Ooh. means uh, okay. which means a scout in the Hawaiian language. And, ah, ah, scout. <laughs> Huh? Yeah, but uh, we don't actually have an image. That's the problem. Uh, uh, that was an artist illustration based on the properties of this object. And, oh, uh, oh, I as see. It was, as the object was tumbling every eight hours, the amount of sunlight reflected from it changed mm. by a factor of 10. And that meant that it has a very extreme shape and most likely flat uh, pancake shape. Uh, so... Um, the object was also exhibiting an excess push away from the sun, uh, uh, most likely because of the reflection of sunlight, and uh, that meant that it's very thin. And actually, a year ago, in September 2020, there was another object that was discovered uh, being pushed by sunlight, and uh, just like Oumuamua, it didn't have any cometary tail, it didn't look like a comet, there was no evaporation, any gas from it. And then uh, the people who discovered it with the same telescope in Hawaii uh, realized that it actually was a rocket booster from a 1966 launch ah, ah. to the moon. And uh, it's clear that, you know, it was thin because uh, we made it with thin walls and that's why it was pushed away from the sun without a cometary tail. And uh, we know that we made it. It's artificial in origin. The question is, who made Oumuamua? Ah, so so the characteristics displayed by this object indicate that uh, there's a good probability that it might be uh, an uh, artifact from some kind of technologically advanced civilization. Well, that was my proposal, which is discussed in my book, Exoterrestrial. Um, of course, we don't know for sure because we didn't have a photograph. And, uh, I mean, they say a picture is worth uh, a thousand words. Yes, yes. In my, in my case, a picture is worth 66,000 words. <laughs> the, the number of words in my book. Oh, 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 I see, I see. I wouldn't <laughs> need to write the book if we had a, a high-resolution image. Uh, and so that's exactly the goal of the Galileo Project. You see, as a scientist, I'm guided by evidence i want to get data and um, it, because we learned it from the days of galileo he um, before him people argued that the sun moves around the earth uh, that started with aristotle the ancient greek philosopher and people believed him for a thousand years because it flattered their ego and then galileo looked through his telescope and argued no actually i think that the earth moves around the sun and the copernicus argued the same around the same time and uh, so the philosophers uh, were much more uh, powerful politically at the time and they put Galileo in house arrest and they said we don't want to look through a telescope we know the answer we know that the sun moves around the earth and uh, of course nowadays when we launch a space mission uh, we base it on the, uh, what Galileo realized that the earth moves around the sun otherwise the spacecraft would go in the wrong direction and um, um, nobody remembers those philosophers that were very influential at the time of Galileo, four centuries ago. Today, they would have cancelled Galileo on social media. They would say it makes no sense what he's saying. And, um, and so uh, that's why we call the project the Galileo Project, because we don't want to repeat the, the mistake of the philosophers at the time. We want to find the answers by looking through our telescopes.
Yes, it would seem that our uh, our interpretation of where we exist and uh, how it how it really is has sort of broadened. We've we've had a kind of uh, uh, an increase in knowledge of our place in the universe in terms of, as you mentioned, Copernicus. And I guess I guess the Copernican principle is the idea that uh, we're kicked out of the center of our solar system, then we're kicked out of the center of our galaxy, then we're we're not the only galaxy, and we're not the maybe we're not the only universe. I don't know, but wow. well, <laughs> yeah, we 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 tend to think that we are the cent the central actors in this play, the cosmic play, but. Uh, the truth is that, you know, the universe existed for 13.8 billion years since the Big Bang, and we just came at the end. And also, we are not at the center of the stage. Uh, uh, we're not at the center of the solar system. The solar system is not at the center of the Milky Way galaxy, and the Milky Way galaxy is not at the center of the universe. Yes. And so... Uh, uh, and and also what we find in our backyard, the Earth-Sun system, is very common. And we now know that about half of the sun-like stars have a planet the size of the Earth, roughly the same separation. So, so um, we are not privileged in any way. Uh, but uh, some scientists still maintain that we are privileged in our intelligence, and they hold on to that as much as they can, because again, it boosts their ego to think that way. Um, and I think we should have learned from the past the sense of cosmic modesty that you know we are not privileged we're not unique we're not special let's just check our windows and see if we have neighbors you know rather than say no we don't have neighbors yeah so we should be opening our mind to the probability obviously of not being alone in this universe in the sense that there are other kinds of possible civilization existing on those exoplanets that surround all those many billions of stars in uh, our galaxy and billions of galaxies in the whole universe. Wow, that's a big picture. Yeah, it's not just a question of numbers because, you know, when my daughters were at home uh, at a young age, they tended to think that they're the center of the universe, that they're the smartest in the world, just because they compared themselves against the family members that they knew. But once I took them to the kindergarten, uh, they were pretty depressed uh, to see around kids that might be smarter than they are. And <laughs> yes. Obviously, if yes. I were to ask them whether they prefer to stay at home, they would say definitely yes. And that's pretty much the, the tendency of uh, people, including scientists, very much in academia, uh, not to discuss this subject at all and to ignore it and to push it to the side and continue to explore just the physical universe and perhaps microbes. You know, the Perseverance rover is searching for evidence of microbes on early Mars, uh, because that is not threatening us, uh, our ego, because even if we find microbes somewhere else, you know, we are still superior relative to these microbes. But suppose that the Perseverance rover bumps into the wreckage of a spaceship that represents technology far more advanced than we possess right now. Uh, obviously, that would be a blow to our ego, and people don't want to hear that. No, I, I don't suppose. And uh, I guess you can say that that uh, we're going through stages of our awareness and knowledge, uh, just as you're talking about uh, uh, humans going through stages, infant, adolescence, and then adults. We're going through the same stages, I suppose, in terms of our awareness of what's yeah. going on around us and who we are and so forth. Wow. Yeah, but, but, but there, is, um, there is another approach to... Um, 
the environment that you can take and that is rather than assuming at first as the as um, your your default that you're centrally important and you're privileged and unique uh, just take the opposite view say okay out of modesty probably there are lots of things like me or much better you know that's what I tell my students in my class uh, when on the first day of class I say uh, to my Harvard students I say half of you are below the median in this class <laughs> and uh, they are they get upset by that statement because they all want to be the at the top uh, few percent of the class and um, but it's a statistical fact that in any class you half of the students are below the median that's how the median is defined and so you, you cannot have everyone in the top half and the point is that the, the zero assumption you know it, the most common situation is that you are somewhere in the middle yes, and, yes. Uh, that's what that's what we should start from why start from the notion that we are unique privileged the smartest and there is nothing like us and we are alone let's go the other way And if we are surprised and we are uh, alone, then obviously that would be uh, news that um, uh, you know would be uh, unfortunate as far as I'm concerned because because I I think that we can learn a lot from those that are smarter in our in our neighborhood. Yeah well, I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, assuming of course they exist, and uh, uh, your position is, uh, I would I would think. That there are these other civilizations existing beyond the earth that might be and maybe are more technologically advanced than we are and every so often we come across uh, some kind of artifact that uh, is an example of one of one of their uh, technological devices that they're sending out into space now, yeah. now would they want to would they want other people to know that they exist by sending out these these uh, Well Scouts. so so my point they don't need to exist right now um, because that's the advantage of doing archaeology that you find the relics or artifacts that were left behind by those that produced them but they are not alive anymore you know most of archaeology is looking at relics left by people that are not around anymore and the same thing is true in space you would find equipment from the senders that uh, perished by now perhaps their star already died or you know the conditions on their planet uh, worsened uh, we are destroying our planet so who knows how, how many centuries into the future we will live and the point is that as long as some civilizations are were much more advanced than we are let's say a billion years ago they may have sent out um, artificial intelligence systems that can uh, self-replicate perhaps if they have 3d printing and uh, these are smart systems that can survive long journeys through interstellar space they are not based on biological creatures and it's just uh, they are electronically made and perhaps within several decades we will send the AI astronauts ourselves and um, so the point is if if they sent out those uh, monuments that they left behind uh, into space we can find them and uh, that is a much better approach than what we've been doing for 70 years now trying to find radio signals yes. Yes. that's just like trying to have a phone conversation you need the counterpart to be active yes that's true that's true and that's hard too because uh, how long would it take before we would be able to receive any kind of signals in the way of communication 
than some other kind of uh, technologically advanced civilization. I, I I don't know. So so maybe the artifact that you're talking about, like you say, is the way to uh, do the uh, exploration and investigation. Yeah. And, and I, I, I I think so. But the point is, this uh, approach was not taken in the past. No. And uh, the Galileo project is the first scientific research uh, endeavor in this direction. Uh, in a sense, uh, wouldn't you be saying, Dr. Loeb, that uh, you're challenging, in a sense, the uh, the Fermi paradox, in the sense that uh, uh, rather than wait for information to come in in the way of the radio waves that we're talking about, messages from some other civilization, you're looking for possible other artifacts besides that, and in a way... It, it takes care of the Fermi paradox that why haven't we been been uh, uh, noticed by other civilizations or why haven't we noticed other civilizations at this point? Where are they? How come they're not around? But you're yeah. saying they are and and this this artifact that just passed through would be an example of uh, something like a message being sent out by some civilization elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, th- there is this uh, tale about a fisherman that went to the sea and came back and said, I discovered a new law of nature that all fish are bigger than two inches. And someone asked him, what's the size of the hole in your fishing net? <laughs> he, said, he said, two inches. And so in the past, in the days of Galileo, for example, we uh, we, uh, we did not have the equipment that we have right now that allows us to search uh, as effectively um, and uh, as a result we could not um, uh, discover objects like Oumuamua they are the size of a football field and only the Panstars telescope in Hawaii was uh, big enough and uh, capable to detect uh, the reflected sunlight from such objects the size of a football field passing within the orbit of the earth around the sun in the days of fermi we didn't have such uh, instruments and uh, he just had huge holes in his fishing net and uh-huh. saying i don't catch any fish doesn't mean much That's i mean right. if you sit if you sit at home and you say i don't hear a knock on my door therefore i don't have neighbors that doesn't make sense um recorded human history is only 10000 years old and most of the time we didn't use instruments that allow us great sensitivity so unless they would have come and had a party in our backyard we wouldn't even notice now now you mentioned that there's no images taken of of this uh, object uh how do we know that the object is there what kind of information did we receive to indicate that there was an object there right so if we have uh, images um of of it um without the good resolution so it looks like a point sort oh, of oh, oh. uh what i meant is that we don't have a resolved image of it and uh so what we measured from it was the reflection of sunlight so it looked like a point in the sky and then as it was tumbling every 8 hours the amount of light reflected changed by a factor of 10 and then we had the trajectory that it moved uh, through and from that we infer that it was uh, pushed away from the sun uh, potentially by reflecting sunlight so we, um, in the future the, the goal of the Galileo project for example is to find more objects like it and then uh, send the spacecraft equipped with a camera that will pass near one of them and uh, take a close-up photograph with high resolution so we can tell whether it's a natural object like a rock or an artificial object that has bolts and screws on it ah. uh, 
and the, it's you know the experience of Oumuamua um, with a lot of scientists saying it must be natural and coming up with proposals for things that we've never seen before that are natural like a hydrogen iceberg nitrogen iceberg a cloud of dust particles we've never seen those things before in the solar system but at any event it's the this experience is similar to a caveman finds a cell phone uh, the caveman is used to playing with rocks all of his life and would argue that the cell phone is a rock of a type that he had never seen before, just like my colleagues. And then, of course, it's just the beginning of a learning experience because if the caveman would press a button and record his voice and then press another button and record his image, it will become clear that this uh, cell phone is not a rock. And in much the same way, you know, if we find another object like Oumuamua and we get close to it and we even land on it, I would be delighted to press some buttons there and see what they do. Gee, and I always thought my cell phone was a rock. (laughs) 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 In In the meantime, just like Galileo, you had mentioned colleagues and their reaction to your position. Um... Are are there any uh, thinking as you think in terms of the artifact being uh, some kind of a uh, object sent out by another civilization? No, so the alternative to that um, was examined by at least four teams of astronomers that tried to suggest something uh, natural that would explain the anomalies, uh, anomalies that were observed. Uh, there were about six of them for Oumuamua that I discuss in my book and, and all of the proposals that were made were of something that we've never seen before. Uh, 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 an iceberg made of hydrogen, nitrogen or, or a cloud of dust particles. Or, and uh, the thing is that uh, if it's not something that we've never seen before, and, and each of these proposals has difficulties, has problems, we should definitely consider the possibility that it's artificial and leave it on the table. But the mainstream community preferred to completely ignore it. And uh, uh, quoting Sagan uh, that said, uh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Well, the point is, Extraordinary conservatism leads to extraordinary ignorance. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't consider uh, uh, one of the possibilities that is still allowed, you would never seek uh, additional data or evidence that uh, to check it. And that's the way science makes progress by collecting evidence. And so that led me to uh, initiate this uh, Galileo project. I should say that this project is now. Uh, mentioned in an amendment to uh, the defense bill that is now discussed in Congress um, uh, by uh, Senator Gillebrand. Uh, she actually mentions that uh, she, she recommended to establish a committee that uh, uh, three of its members will be selected by the director of the Galileo project. Which oh, is really? Oh, me. that's interesting. Yeah. So there's funding going into that project. Uh, no, no, this has nothing to do with funding. It's oh, just that oh, oh. it's being recognized by uh, politicians in Washington, D.C. as a, an important project. Well, when you say politicians, I automatically think of money. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you see, I did not do fundraising to start with. It's just that uh. individuals uh, donated to, to my research uh, funds. And um, 
uh, I did not lobby politically in Washington DC and then uh, Senator Gillibrand mentioned the project by name and um, over the past few months uh, uh, there were so many distinguished people that visited the porch of my home that uh, someone in a podcast that I attended uh, last week said um, I wish I was a fly on the wall of your porch uh, and I actually <laughs> wrote a, an essay just about that about the fly on the porch of my oh really <laughs> home, yes and no. what would uh, that fly see I, I wrote it this morning just before we uh, spoke and it will appear in the brief and uh, hopefully within the coming days well, you can think of uh, a fly being on the wall of anybody's wall any place can you imagine that that's another story <laughs> oh. uh, well I, sh- I should say that this fly had an opportunity that I don't think if, if that fly exists I don't think uh, he took advantage of uh, the principal investigator of uh, the New Horizons um, uh, mission um, Alan Stern also visited my porch and uh, he's flying to space uh, next year and so that oh, fly, oh. if that fly would have snuck under the shirt of uh, Alan Stern, he would have gone to space. That was <laughs> a lost opportunity. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, by the way, Dr. Loeb, uh, uh, would you mind in uh, in a few uh, minutes uh, talking about another project that you're involved with, the Black Hole Initiative? Do you have time for that? Uh, yeah, just a few minutes. Yeah. Um, the Black Hole Initiative was uh, founded in uh, April 2016 and uh, uh, it's the only center in the world that focuses on the study of black holes and it brings together um, uh, philosophers and uh, physicists, astronomers and mathematicians and that's the unique uh, quality of it that people from different disciplines uh, speak with each other. I was fortunate to be the founding director of that uh, uh, initiative and center uh, and uh, it was very successful I and very much enjoyed over the years collaborating with people from all disciplines and um, and we've learned a lot over those years about black holes by now we also have an image of the shadow of a black hole that uh, was actually put together in the conference room of the black hole initiative at Harvard University and oh, really? uh, oh. yeah oh. It, 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 the the collaboration that produced the image is called the Event Horizon Telescope Collaboration. Yes, yes. seven telescopes but, as I understand it. Oh, a lot of them around the globe, yes. But um, uh, the image was first obtained uh, in the conference room of, of the Black Hole Initiative. Oh, oh interesting, interesting. And there's someone looking, another astrophysicist that uh, I interviewed was uh, looking at the possibility of testing for the presence of a wormhole in the center of our galaxy. Don't know if you came across that information. That's interesting. Yeah, the, the problem with getting into a black hole in search of a wormhole is that if you don't find the wormhole, there is no way out of the black hole. So you're doomed to die <laughs> close to the singularity. But uh, we had a conference uh, at the Black Hole Initiative a few years ago, one, one of the early conferences. And I suggested to uh, string theorists to, to take a journey into a black hole because they can test string theory uh, near the center of a black hole. But of course, um, one of them said that I have ulterior motives because um, uh, I'm sending them into a black hole so they will never be back. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. I don't think that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there aren't many places where you can test the string theory. One of them is there, and another is perhaps in the early universe. But um, yeah, um, at any event, my view in general, not just in the context of gravity, is that um, we should uh, make uh, advances in our knowledge based on evidence. And that's what we talked about before, about the extraterrestrial life. And that's what I feel also about the unification of quantum mechanics and gravity. It was not the original purpose of, of setting up uh, some kind of scientific method to approach the investigation of any kind of natural phenomenon in a certain way where the mind is open to test for different things that might be possibilities. What happened to that kind of an approach? Well, I think it's human weaknesses that intervene. Uh, Universities created the tenure system where professors have the privilege of pursuing their interests without worrying about their job prospects. And you would think that that would give uh, uh, scientists more freedom to pursue, to take risks and pursue um, the path not taken but uh, it looks like it after getting tenure a lot of uh, people prefer to um, maintain an image of knowing everything and being the expert in a field and not making mistakes not taking any any risks and as a result innovation is suppressed and um, that's unfortunate but it, it reflects human weakness and the other element that uh, suppresses innovation is uh, groupthink. Uh, people look at each other before they say anything, uh, rather than think about the subject um, completely independently. And my hope is in the future that some of the science will be done by computers, by artificial intelligence uh, algorithms, and those would not uh, inherit necessarily the weaknesses of humans. And if if some uh, AI uh, algorithm uh, looks at the data about Oumuamua and sees that it's unlike any comet or asteroid we have seen before, but on the other hand, it looks like uh, 2020 SO, this, this uh, object that we produced, the, the rocket booster from 1966, then that uh, AI system would perhaps say it may be artificial in origin rather than uh, worry about its uh, image or reputation or other human weaknesses and um, and so my hope is in the future if we let the computers handle the data we might get better answers and science will progress faster so the idea is to keep one's mind open along valid and uh, logical lines in order yeah. to pursue I mean, uh, humans can do it I mean uh, actually children do it all the time and I somehow maintain my childhood curiosity I refuse to uh, appears the adult in the room where I know everything. That's another story. How do we lose that as time goes on? I, I didn't lo- I didn't lose it. I don't know how you lose it because I didn't lose it. <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. Loeb. Avi Loeb. We've been having uh, Dr. Avi Loeb as our guest uh, in Carl's Orbit. And uh, we want to thank you, Dr. Loeb, for uh, uh, telling us information about the... Uh, object from space and about what you're doing at Harvard Uh, and uh, we hope that uh, you have success in the future in whatever kind of investigation research that you do thank you very much thanks for having me and I want to thank all our listeners Uh, please tune in again to 
Carl's orbit in order to take part in whatever kind of interview we're having. 